All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. I got news for you, pal. You ain't leading but two things right now. Jack and shit. Jack left town. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. What was that rocket? What rocket? I was just in my office and I heard a rocket. Describe the rocket, sir. Does this mean we're not friends anymore? Just kidding! They would hate it. I'd be like, so guys, let's talk about puppies! <laughs> Evil puppies! Yes, it's DJ Nibis and Neko the male girl. Just kidding. <laughs> I wish I was Neko the male girl. I'm nothing. Like, Darcy looks really amazing. And I did not know she was as old as me. I thought she was at least, at least seven years if not more younger but we're about the same age i think like we were both born in the same year or maybe i was born a year before her i i, I looked up her her birthday one time stalked her i did i, I stalked her a little bit <laughs> i um i love her and i find it so sad that uh how much hate she's gotten over her life and um it's unfortunate it is and i i don't see I think she's beautiful, and I think she's funny, and, you know, there's a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff that she's done with Joe Bob, and... She's an integral part of what brought Joe Bob back, mm -hmm. and she's, like, she's not just a fangirl in the sense that she loves horror movies. She, like, knows her shit. She knows the history. She has, she has research. She has favorite movies. She can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with any die-hard horror man that's out there probably more than me actually she probably knows more shit than i do well she's also she does a lot of work behind the scenes like getting the show ready and and stuff with guests and stuff she's oh, not yeah. she's not just like a fixture she's not just there to be well she's the one that basically like joe probably handles you know during his week he handles what kind of dialogue and questions he's gonna have darcy handles arranging all this it's sort of like the Howard Stern, Baba Booey thing. Baba Booey actually had a big part in like setting shit up for Howard. 
Howard was the showcase, and in this case, Joe Bob is the showcase, but Darcy does a lot of the leg work. And it's not the short end Joe, but Joe only has so much time that he mm-hmm. can and do. And there's, there's always a lot to do. Right. And I know, like, I read several articles on Joe Bob and, and Darcy, and one thing that I really respect about both of them, and yeah, clearly, Joe Bob had this gig a while ago, and it was a little bit different. And, um, You're about the Monster Vision stuff? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when that got canceled, he had told his crew, you know, I will hire you all back if I ever get another gig, if you'll have it, you know, if you want to come back. And when he did get Joe Bob's um, last drive-in, he hired back as many people who wanted to come back. Yeah. So it was just pretty wild. I was, I was just, I, I really feel like people kind of look at this like, oh, it's a carny type thing or, oh, it's so, you know, stupid or it's not, it's, you know, there is an appreciation for the lost art of the lost, the last drive-in because we actually are lucky enough to have a drive-in close to us. But when you speak to other people, um, well, even people around here, they hardly ever go to the drive-in mm-hmm. and it's what a 15 minute drive from our house it's if that yeah it's a and great it's like, experience it's like even shorter drive from your work <laughs> it's around the corner from my work it's like two minutes mm-hmm. you have to pass my work to get to the drive-in and it's kind of interesting too because i work right next to a small airport and the drive-in is like right past the small airport and back in the day in the 50s when they built the drive-in part of the reason that they built it where they did was it it's the street that it's on, if you would stay on the street, you will eventually hit Baltimore City. They moved it way away from the city because they were calling it like farm country back in the 50s. It wasn't developed at all. Right. There was an airport, you know, and that airport's been there since, you know, World War One, And my company's been there, too, since World War One because they produce aircraft parts and they used to produce airplanes and um that was it that's like all that was out there so the drive-in thought it was a great idea now there's everything there's a target there's a chick-fil-a there's tons and tons of houses like the housing boom really happened after like in the 50s when um manufacturing was hopping out there but i just they're so it's so accessible and it's so cheap it's like 10 bucks a person and you get three movies and their concessions are actually like not an arm and a leg. You can get a bucket of popcorn for like seven bucks where you go to AMC and we got a bucket of popcorn, a soda and some candy. And I think it was $45. It had to be. Oh, and I got some pretzel bites. Cause I always like the pretzel bites. $45. You go there, you can get tons and tons of stuff. And so I, I really love the last drive-in because it's a it's a nostalgia thing, and we're gonna go to the Joe Baba ho- Jamboree. Jamboree, I'm gonna call it the hoedown. <laughs> well, you have so many different names for it and stuff. So, so yeah, it's gonna be a lot of fun doing that. Um, we are in episode 117 of the Hordes of Chaos. Nice. A lot of new music coming your way, as well as some classic stuff for you. Uh, some interesting topics. Uh, I think we've got two movie reviews, a doc review. No, three movie reviews and a doc review. So, a lot of good shit there. Shit, yeah. Uh, this first block, though, we're going to kick it off. We've got stuff from uh, Metal Devastation Radio, Everlasting Speed Records, and Scarlet Records. So, here's uh, 
Goat Sanctuary. Which from... I love a goat sanctuary. Like a good goat sanctuary always. I'm, I'm a big fan of goats. As long as it's like Black Phillip. Yeah. Oh, like the little baby jumpy goats. Black Phillip. He was jumpy. He was... Ram and shit. Right here, behind you. He's, he's behind you. Right. Here's Goat Sanctuary with Sharp Teeth.
looking for a place to take care of all your automotive needs? Then get in touch with Stauffer's Auto Service in Millersville, Maryland. Stauffer's takes care of all auto repairs, auto service, and great quality parts as well. Stauffer's is located at 8328 Veterans Highway, Suite E in Millersville. Be sure to call and check out all their service specials related to your automotive needs. Stauffer's is professional, friendly, and has highly qualified mechanics who do excellent work with prices that are fair and much better than what you will find in other automotive places. So call 410-729-0121. That's 410-729-0121. And tell them the newsman and his trusty sidekick, Neko, sent you Alright, DJ Anubis. And DJ Neko. Back with you, Metal Time Radio Podcast, episode 117. Good old stoppers. I was just there this morning taking a Jeep in. Oh, we didn't tell everybody I got a Jeep. Yeah, she got a new car. The blue bomber died. It still has a little bit of life left in it, but it doesn't go over like 25 miles an hour, so it's really kind of useless and. I'm 90% sure it's the O2 sensor because we just had a tune-up and it's running like it's the O2 sensor is giving me shit, but... Could be anything, transmission. We are, yeah, we've, in the last, like, three years, we've we've babied that thing and it's, I mean... It's It's just not giving back. It's been in no less than seven accidents and none of them, none of them were our fault. We have been literally at stop signs completely stopped and people have hit us we, DJ Anubis was driving um, the Blue Bomber one day and in Baltimore the traffic during rush hour can be a little uh, bitchy and it's a lot of stop and go he was stopped in traffic not even moving and somebody slammed into the back of the Blue Bomber I think they were trying to change lanes or merge or something and they hit him it has been a whirlwind with this thing. I mean, think about it. Like, but I, I can't complain. I had it for 11 years. I, I had it for a really long time, and we put tons of mileage on it for many years. And then the last like three years, while I was traveling, we didn't, we didn't want to upgrade to anything or do anything because why waste the money? I'm only using it, you know, sporadically. But since I've been home and since I switched jobs since September, I've been driving it a lot. Yeah. But stoffers, man, any, I mean, if you are in the Baltimore. Basically, if you're in Millersville, Crofton, um, Gambrels, uh, Savannah Park area, like, they're really close to you. So, like, right off of uh, Millersville Road. On Veterans Highway. Yeah. It was kind of funny. We found them by accident on um, a friend of ours recommended a shop. That was in the same, like, it's not a shopping area, but industrial, I don't know what it is, but in the same area. And we went to Stoffers instead of the shop that our friend. <laughs> well, because they didn't, he wasn't clear about which one, like, there's different suites. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't clear exactly which one it was. So I just saw Stoffers first. They stood out and went in, like, hey, yeah, we got to get this looked at. And they took care of the problem. They, no bullshit, you know. And they, they're not really, like, they're not going to take advantage of you. They'll tell you literally, like, what they're doing and how much it's going to cost. Like, right. Like there's, there's no nickel and diming. I mean, it's not that, uh, 
it can't be pricey. If you if you have something that needs you know serious work, then it's going to cost you. But it, they're not going to rape you. Like they're they're going to give you what the cost is plus the labor and be straight about it. That's that's the key to everything. I have recommended um, Michelle and all of her family to go there, and she has a Ford Flex. I think it is. It's that big truck. Um, and she, it's kind of funny, I'm surprised that thing's still running because she got the flex like right around the time I got the blue bomber and she had a crack in her engine or yeah, something and, they fixed, it or and something. they fixed it and it was like $400 and I'm like, that is insane. Yeah. That's like nothing. If you go somewhere Someone else would be like, hey, we need a new engine here. Mm-hmm. So anyway, if you are in our area, we cannot recommend stop. Let me tell you what, I, I was doing everything for the Blue Bomber. They didn't even make parts for it anymore, so I would, like, all of my trim on the outside was starting to peel. Chris I, was so impressed that you did that. Oh, really? <laughs> He's like, I can't believe she went and got trim and put it on. Like, no one does that. <laughs> and I'm like, this one does. And she did, like, literally drove the Jeep off the lot and was already planning on <laughs> placing this piece. <laughs> But I did learn something because Francesca told me that uh, I love Francesca. That's the thing; we love them all. They're like the, they've been working all together for a long next time. Next time we order tires, we just go through them because they have when they order it, they can get warranties plus. Oh, and they get a discount. Well, I don't know if it's discount, probably, but you get warranties plus. They also give you free fifteen patches. So if you ever like get patchwork, shut you, up. So I, like all the shit we get done. I could do that for free if I get the tires through them. But I think she also, because I was telling her about the tire I was having issues with, and she's like, well, if you continue to have problems with that, bring it to us, and then we'll try to get, like, a warranty on it. And then, like, that's great. There's supposed to be a warranty, a manufacturer's warranty. That's why I was, like, telling That's me. why we keep the paperwork. Mm -hmm. And I have a warranty on my tires right now for, I think, five years like and there's certain things it doesn't cover but like patches and stuff i'd have to call and be like hey need to exercise my warranty thank you very much bye-bye so anyway we're gonna get into our first uh discussion of topic it's castlevania season four on netflix you've been watching that pretty religiously yeah um i know neko hasn't really checked out a lot of it she's caught a few episodes here and there um I've really dug this since the beginning. Like, I'm not like a diehard game fan. I do, I do know the game. I played it before. I used to play it all the time when, and I'm talking the original Nintendo Castlevania. Yeah. I got it for Easter from my grandparents when I was a kid. I remember. It was definitely in the '90s when mm -hmm. Chris and I, a different Chris and I, were playing. So, now from what I've read, the first two seasons are based off the third game, which is uh, Castlevania Three. And uh, it involves uh, the three main characters. You have um, Trevor Belmont, Sypha, uh, and Alucard, which is Dracula's son, who's half human, half vampire. And they're like basically your three main heroes. So how does that work? Half human, half vampire. He can walk. He's a daywalker. He's a daywalker. Yeah. Like bleed. Yeah. So. Um, Basically, the first couple of seasons. Now, the cool thing about this is that it brings a lot of emotion and things you wouldn't expect with uh, an animated show. So, like, you know, the reason why Dracula has kind of gone on his rampage to start this whole thing off is 
his wife was burned at the stake, who's human. This is why Alucard is born from her. Oh, wow. So the humans have burned his wife at the stake, uh, accused her of witchcraft. So he She's declares... A yes, She's a witch! Right, so he declares all the people of Valkia uh, will pay with their lives. So he summons an army of demons, and they are the ones that are overrunning the country and killing people and doing this and that. Uh, so then this is where Belmont and Sypha... And, of course, Alucard, along the way, just learns that his dad's just not a very good dude right now. Because without the wife, he's kind of, like, lost his shit. Uh, points of interest in this, as far as, like, voice acting. Uh, St. Germain is portrayed by Bill Nye. We figured that out. I know, that was kind of crazy. We're like, um... I also was sitting there listening to the character of Varney. I'm like, dude, I know that voice... And sure enough, I looked it up. Malcolm McDowell voices that. Oh shit! Even more uh, from season three, You're the judge, my mind right? Now. The judge uh, in season three was voiced by Jason Isaacs, who played uh, Malfoy, the uh, father in Harry Potter. What? Yeah. So these are these are guys who can play villains pretty well. So each one of them has like their own kind of villainy attached to them. Uh, some of the other characters that are being voiced, I don't, I'm not too familiar with the actors involved, but they're all very good. Um, there's a point in season four uh, where you have a, a a quartet of sister vampire sisters. This is after Dracula has been defeated and sent to hell or whatever. Uh, so you have Carmilla, who's the head sister. Uh, she's basically kind of lost her shit. She's like the feminazi who wants to rule the world because she's pissed off at everything that men do. <laughs> she's like, fuck men. Then you have Lenore, uh, who's a little bit more logical, but, you know, she's the beauty queen and whatnot. And then Morana and Striga, I haven't really figured out, like, they're they're both sisters and they travel together, but, you know, one is strategist, uh, does all the strategy for the armies, and then the other one's basically like the general soldier of them all. But, mm-hmm. but they almost seem like a couple, too, so I, I don't... I mean, obviously, when it comes to vampirism and the lore, like, it's not uncommon to have siblings attached like that. But I, I thought initially they were just, like, you know, together, but not part of the sister squad, but I think they both are. I might have to rewatch the whole thing just to get it all together, because the, the, the time break between these series is quite a bit most of the time so uh that kind of leads to that anyway anyway season four uh definitely has where the trio or you know alucard's kind of stuck in his castle and he's not sure what to do at this point but uh belmont and sypha they're kind of driving around killing these creatures that are terrorizing all these other cities and whatnot um and then St. Germain, he's got his own agenda here. Like, he lost, like, a, a girlfriend or something to what they call um, the Netherworld or something. And he's trying to get back to that while also bringing back Dracula. Like, that's his whole plan. So he and Varney, they're all kind of in cahoots. Because uh, Germain is actually human. So, you know, you got these people trying to bring Dracula black, back. Black? Black. Black vampire back. Uh... And so, of course, this is all convoluted with Camila, who wants to run the world. So, we also have a pair of uh, what we call forgers. Uh, one is Hector, one is Isaac. Uh, they're currently kind of at war, but Hector's sort of imprisoned by Camila. 
to make more demons. So he creates this like hammer, almost like Thor like. Hammer! And he can take bodies of the dead humans and make demons out of them, so that's why he's so valuable uh, to the vampires. And, he and Isaac can do the same thing, but again, I have to go back to season three to find out why Isaac's pissed off. Uh, he might have been ditched off or whatever, but Hector was originally Dracula's uh, forger. So anyway, uh, at this point, uh, Carmelia has binded Hector with like a ring of blood or something that, you know... If he tries to, like, sh call off the demons, he'll die or some shit like that. She's managed to trick him into that. Uh, but he's kind of grown to build this uh, relationship with uh, Lenore, one of the other sisters. And, you know, they, they're not, like, lovers or anything, but they seem to like each other a lot. And, anyway, as the, as the season progresses, we've, you know, eventually... It's Isaac attacks uh, the the town where Camille's holding up at the castle she's held up at, and his goal is to kill Camille because he doesn't want her to take over the world and all that shit. He's also looking for Hector. So they end up killing uh, Camille, and it took him a while to do that because she was pretty strong, and that ended that. And he came to basically an understanding with Hector. Like Hector really didn't want to be in prison. He didn't really want to keep making demons uh, you know without being his own choice mm -hmm. so he was willing to work with Isaac to kill Camellia and eventually they do that and get done with that the other two sisters Morana and Striga they decided they they were already thinking like not wanting to take over the world like they were kind of pissed off that Camille was sending him out to fight all these wars that Camille was sitting in the yeah because that was the episode that I was watching they're like when is it going to end right and they were kind of pissed off because, like, they're the ones doing all the heavy lifting and Carmilla's just kind of sitting in the castle doing nothing. Uh, so they were making their way back to the castle where Carmilla was before they saw it blew up and then they realized through their feelings that she was dead. And at that point they decided just to walk away to go somewhere else. Like, they just decided to make a life elsewhere, I guess, at that point. Uh, Lenore, on the other hand, she was pretty devastated by Carmilla's death, but she also understood it. She knew that Carmelia kind of lost her shit and wasn't really agreeing with what the plan was. Mm. But she also came to a realization that she will always be looked at as like a monster because of what she is. And so she pulled like a blade too and uh -oh. she told Hector like I'm going to go take a walk out in the balcony and the sun's coming up and then you know. But it was a real tender moment because you know Hector really didn't want her to go because mm -hmm. he really liked her. But uh, it was her choice, and she decided that that was the best thing for her at that point uh, to move on. Um, now, back at Alucard, Dracula's castle, uh, he had gone out eventually and taken in some local uh, village people because he's trying to, like, sort of reconnect with humanity. Like, he's trying to distance himself from his vampire part, so... He tries to reconnect with the village people by helping them out because uh, he's holding off other attacks by more vampires and demons and shit. Which he does. So he decides, well, the best place really for this little town is to come with him to the castle because it's, it's a fortress. Mm -hmm. So he does, and of course, they also come there to try to attack the castle. Um, 
and at the same time, Saint Germain has made his way there with them. So these guys are on the agenda. So he's going up in the castle. He he knows that every human that's killed during this fight at the castle, like these blood orbs, will go to where he needs. It gets sucked into where he's doing his little ritual upstairs. And of course, Alucard is trying to stop him, but he's Germain's like he's this alchemist, so he's able to stop with like a little force field and whatnot. And do it's all this shit. Wild. Yeah. So he uh, he's he's doing this he's doing this little ritual because his his idea is to bring Dracula up, but also get back in to the netherworld and find his woman. Like he you know he's just doing it for love or whatever. So Agricard has to go back out with Belmont and Sypha and keep fighting off these creatures from killing all the village people because they managed to get into the castle and the village over. people like YMCA. <laughs> no, but you would think they would be. <laughs> Um, so eventually, they do bring Dracula and his wife back from the, the netherworld, but they were going to be combined into one body they were putting together. Initially, I thought they were trying to put Camellia back together, but it wasn't that. It was just taking body parts, and they were going to put the souls of Dracula and uh, his wife back into it. Uh, the problem with that is it would, you'd have two souls fighting over dominance of this this body and so it would drive Dracula insane basically and <laughs> oh, then what well and the whole point was uh, this is all a, a grand scheme by Varney who's a vampire but turns out to be like this and I haven't really fi- I gotta go back and rewatch this but he turns out to be like a version of death the reaper himself and he's been scheming this all along he wants more souls for himself so he tricked St. Germain to create this portal into the netherworld because he can't do it himself. So he basically lied to St. Germain and said, yeah, you know, you thought you were going to find your woman, but that's not what's going to happen here. You're going to bring back the Dracula and his wife, and then we're going to go and kill the world <laughs> so I can feed for the rest of I'm my life. to feed. Uh, so St. Germain's like, my ass. Like, I just got suckered into this shit. Um... So eventually, they do bring back Dracula and his wife into the body, but St. Germain kind of quickly thinks, puts the body back in front of the netherworld and tells uh, Belmont to strike it and get it back into there, and then he does, but it takes Belmont with it. So he's not quite in the netherworld, but he's in like another portion of it, and that's where Varney's there, the, the Reaper. And they had this long battle and shit. Really, Reaper really should have killed him, but Belmont had some special tools that he was using, (laughs) you know, special weapons. I have a certain set of skills. Right. And uh, so he ends up destroying, or at least stopping the Reaper from doing whatever he's doing, but they thought that, you know, Belmont's dead too at that point. Uh... Of course, uh, in the aftermath of the explosion, St. Germain is killed, and he realizes he just is going to die and hopefully go back to his girl, but I don't think he's going to make you it You don't there. think he's going to make it to his girl? Right. That's kind of well, depressing. Well, it is, because there's a scene where he's slowly dialing, and he sees the portal closing, and he sees the, the shadow of his, his girl, and it walks away, and then the portal closes, and he's not in it. So I got a feeling that, like, he just didn't get to connect with her like he thought he would. Aww. Um, but it gets more interesting. Uh, t- 
now we're getting towards the end of it and Dracula and to all assumptions Dracula and his wife are back in the netherworld but Sypha which again I wasn't paying attention you kind of get depression they, they were liking each other but we didn't know how much mm-hmm. probably they had had a thing and they somewhere along the way had sex and she was pregnant so she was kind of devastated that Belmont was gone uh, so basically Alucard and another girl who leads the village people <laughs> oh on. my god they are creating a new uh, city basically around the castle and Alucard's okay with that he, he has kids playing around he kind of plays with them. so he's trying to reconnect with humanity there and the girl that's sort of led this, this village is kind of liking Alucard and his softer side or whatever because he's being a little more human and he could see it and he's kind of like digging her a little bit she's human and whatnot. Uh, but Saifa's ready to bail she's like been not talking to anybody for two weeks and she's sad and you know she finally reveals to Ellie Carter that she's pregnant he tries to be happy for her but he knows that it's kind of short lived oh no so he's trying everything he can to keep her there uh, to build with the city there and it's the same with the girl that's leading the village she's like you know you have a lot of knowledge and like she's a really good wizard or whatever you want to call her because she can fight pretty well um so she's trying to convince her to stay as well to teach the kids because the kids won't have to worry about demons or anything going mm-hmm. forward because they're all gone uh finally uh as they're all talking there's horse approaches and Helicar goes I recognize that horse but there's someone on it in like a cloak and so they kind of go over to it and like it sure enough the body falls off and into Sypha's hands and it's revealed as Belmont so he's alive but he's hurt kind of badly so you know but there's this like back and forth between her and him because you know it's the kind of like I love you but I'm gonna tease you I love you but I hate you right because he's all kind of sarcastic about what he says and all this and that so she walks away a moment she's like someone get this man some help (laughs) she's like she's like angry but she's crying because she loves him and you know he loves her and he tells her that and it's a really emotional moment, so it's really nice uh, to see that. And then, not expecting this at all, I figured it was just going to end here. At the very end, there's a, a moment in this rainy little village. Uh, a pair of people walk up to an inn, and they go in, they sign in, and lo and behold, it's uh, Dracula and his wife. So they're not in the same body, they're just separated now. But they're there back in the real world. Interesting. And they go up to their room, and it's at this point that... I forget his wife's name, but uh, obviously she has a big impression on Dracula. She's like, sort of keeps him grounded. And so she's kind of like, you know, we can do anything we want to now. We don't have to do anything else. And I think at this point, Dracula figures that... He, he kind of goes by a different name. He doesn't use Dragon, but he uses Vlad, which is kind of funny. Vlad is who he is. Right. But he calls his last name something else. So, anyway. He's Vlad the Impaler. Right. So, basically, uh, they've just, in fact, it's his idea just to kind of go walk about. <laughs> to, like, what? Fuck with people? No, no. Just to, to go, for them to go see the world. Like, he clearly, even though he's still a vampire, he doesn't want to like destroy it he doesn't want to like go and feed off a bunch of people i'm sure he has to feed on some sort of level mm-hmm. 
so he'll figure that out but the idea is that now they're just going to be private and they're like they're not even going to go to their sent alucard they're not going to let him know he's alive like they're just they don't want they figure alucard be much happier knowing that they're just gone shit so that's how it ends and you know that's their new life now the funny thing about that though was they're sleeping on the bed and there's like this window and it's mm-hmm. raining outside and i'm thinking Okay, so they're getting ready to sleep, but what happens when the sun comes up? <laughs> right, so... Uh, but then again, maybe... I don't think Dracula was adverse to the sun, though. I'm pretty sure that would hurt him. So, I, I, I don't know, it was just funny. I was just one of those things I'm thinking to myself, like, yeah, if the sun comes up, he's toast. <laughs> maybe he used sunscreen. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> maybe. I'm dumb, I'm sorry. Anyway... Season four is worth it. Uh, those last two episodes draw a lot of emotion. Even Lenora's death, uh, you know, going out and walking. Spoiler out. alert. Right. Uh, just a lot of fun. Like, it's, it gores there. They, they say curse words. Like, it's funny hearing vampires use it a lot. Um, so it's just kind of funny. And you've been enjoying it a lot. Yeah, yeah. And I think that if you get time, you should probably just go watch it. Like I said, they're only like 20 to 30 minutes apiece. And, and where am I going to get all this time? Yeah. But it all blows by, so, you know. I'm busy watching Dawson's Creek right now. Yeah, I know. She gets on these weird kicks. All right, well, let's get back into some music. Yes! Uh, I just blocked, but you have some brand new stuff from Celtic Hills, or Celtic Hills, however you want to pronounce it. Celtic. But got some classic stuff from Soil Work, and here's Mimic <laughs> with Valves.
DJ Anubis here, and I want to say if you dig all things Godzilla and KG related, then check out the YouTube channel of the Sci-Fi Century. He has great reviews, opinions, and theories in the world of sci-fi horror, anime, and of course everyone's favorite atomic breathing lizard, Godzilla. Century provides great commentary when both having a special guest on his shows as well as the collaborations with the big teddy bear, that fat samurai guy. So if you want to keep it raw and real, tune into the Sci-Fi Century. That's S-C-I-F-I-S-E-N-T-R-Y Sci-Fi Century Tune in to get the best in science fiction and Godzilla related information Peace Yeah DJ Nibis And DJ Neko Back with you in Hordes of Chaos Hordes of Chaos Hordes Fucking whores. Hoes. Alright, so we had a chance to finally check out Psycho Gorman. Because we had, you know, finally been waiting around. It's on Shutter now. Got a chance to check it out. I'm going to let you roll first. Oh, you're going to let me go for it? Let, let you roll, girl. You, you. You do you. You do you. Um, it wasn't bad. <laughs> But it wasn't great. Mm-hmm. And this isn't a, a thing where I really was felt like I was forcing myself to laugh at the jokes. And I felt like I was really forcing myself to like it because we had been anticipating Psycho Gorman for months. And the trailers were better than the fucking movie. So who, you know, props to the person who, whoever did the trailer because the trailers are funny, they're timed right, and they're edited properly. Whereas the movie, it gets a little, I don't know what the right word is. It's like you, you see the joke that you saw in the trailer and it was better in the trailer than it was in the movie. Yeah. Um, Look, I mean, it looks cool. There's some good gore in it. And there is. And the pup, like, they did a lot of, like, actual, legit... Special effects. Special effects. So, the gore, the puppetry, the the costumes are great. Yeah, and, uh, you know... The actors themselves aren't bad. Uh, there's a little girl... The, 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 the premise of this is... There's a, a, a pair of kids, Luke and Mimi, and uh, they're kind of playing. They're always playing these like little war games in the backyard. Mm-hmm. And and little girl's a little bitch. And she, you know, basically on the game that they're playing to start the movie, it's like it's kind of funny because they take it kind of literal. She's like, "Look, if you lose, you dig your own hole, and then I'm gonna bury you alive." <laughs> like that's that's just how they are. But he's doing it. Now, they all think it's in fun and whatnot, of course, but they were doing it anyway. So, and then they're like, who's going to fill up this hole? So they dig it up and they find, like, this shiny, glowing pink object that's, you know, it's part of, like, this little, uh, I don't know what you call it, like a, a Sarcophagus? Cover. Well, it's a cover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the little girl me pulls it up and she takes it because it's shiny. 
And, you know, they're still talking shit to one another. So finally they go back in for the night. And during this time, uh, something comes out of the ground, you know, uh, and it goes to this, like, abandoned shoe, shoe warehouse <laughs> and kills, like, these three dudes that end up, like, beating people up and taking their shit. So he kills them. Yeah, I think they were beating people up so they could find stuff to pawn. Yeah, so we, we learned that, you know, Psycho Gorman here is, like, a, an alien species that's arrived on, or he's been imprisoned on Earth. Uh, but it's been released because the kids took away the little gem that they mm-hmm. got. Um, so eventually, they come looking for this thing because, like, they you know, they know something came out of the hole because they had covered it all up. Before they got they scared because it was starting to like glow and make, yeah. So they covered it up, but when they got up in the morning, the parents were like, "What the hell's going on here?" Just like this big hole. And we also learn at this point that when Dad loses the Democratic vote to who's going to fill the hole, he grabs his shovel and manages like, to hurt himself. First, first Ow. time, right? So we've learned that Daddy's a wussy. Okay, so that we'll come back to that. Oh my God! So uh, I, I don't even—I think they even filled the hole after that. But anyway. I think they eventually did. The kids go out in the evening and they go to find whatever it is they thought that came out of the hole. And they end up at the shoe factory and of course Psycho Gorman's there. And PG for sure. Yeah, it's now Psycho Gorman is like at first like he's he's ready to kill him, but he discovers that they actually have the gem and like they can't do anything because he's controlled by the gem. So whoever possesses that gem controls him. So he can't do shit, and like you, you can just imagine two kids with the control of some super being, and like he's rather just go kill things, and they're kind of laughing and try and make up names for him. So eventually they come up with Psycho Gorman or PG for short, as Neko put it. Uh, they come back to that a lot during the thing, or you can call him PG for short. PG for short. So then at some point they go and they decide they're gonna. They were going to try to hide him for a little while. And during this time, he's communicating with, like, his supposed followers who are out in space somewhere because they don't realize he's released. They gave him, um, the kids gave him a television, which right. was kind of fun. They're like, here's some, here's some magazines and a television. Hunky boys. The Hunky boys. So, we also learned that in space somewhere, uh... There's, like, basically this Space Justice League out there. <laughs> That's what I'm going to call them. The Justice League. And they're the ones that are in prison in Psycho Gorman to begin with because he was killing everybody and destroying worlds and whatnot. So he was a pretty big badass. Uh, now, leader, Pandora, she wants to, like, just finally take Psycho Gorman out for good because they, you know... They... He's been a problem. Right. Ever since he <laughs> found that gem. He was... Psycho Gorman was enslaved by Pandora's people, and while he was mining, he found the gem. Mm-hmm. So, before we get back to her, we come back on Earth, and uh, Mimi decides she wants to go show off Psycho Gorman to everybody. So she's walking around with him, trailing behind like a little rag doll. He's dressed up in... Uh, Izod shirts and khakis. That was really cowboy funny. Cowboy hat and glasses. And, you know, and, but the funny thing is, like, at times, uh, P- 
people who are around, like, if they start talking shit, he, like, just kills them on a whim. The one kid that said, hey, Halloween's not here yet. He's like, I'm just burning. That guy blows up. Um, so people start to realize that they got something. Like, even the parents have now discovered Psycho Gorman, and they're, like, terrified. Mm -hmm. So the entire time, Mimi's standing there trying to tell him, like, he's not going to hurt you. And he's like, I'm going to kill you. When I get done with this and I get that gem back, I'm going to destroy you. <laughs> so there's, like, this battle of wills between Mimi and Psycho Gorman. Anywho, we get further along, and Pandora's made it down there, and Psycho Gorman has tried different avenues to try to get the gem. He's tried to go through a loop through his dreams, like the brother, because the brother is being bullied by Mimi. She's not, like his necklace says, she's not very likable. Uh, and this is funny because, really, her character, even going through to the end, there is no redeeming quality about this girl. <laughs> I don't get it. I don't understand. Some people like it. I, I just, I don't get it. I don't really understand it. Uh, there's supposed to be just like, for Mimi at the end, there's supposed to be like this awakening that she's like a bitch and she shouldn't be, but then like she really doesn't apologize like the way she should. So like, it's just really weird. And, you know, Luke feels betrayed because there's a moment where she's kidding around with Gorman and she's like, could you just kill him, please? And then when Gorman's going to do it, you know, she's like, just kidding. And, of course, the kid's terrified at this point. Luke's like... Now, one thing Neko and I were talking about is how the woke culture has kind of like snuck in in here mm -hmm. and i don't know if it was intentional or not um it's always intentional i just i don't get it for this type of movie it doesn't make sense um but obviously they've gone out of their way because even the mother seems much stronger character than the husband and of course the daughter is much stronger than the son now you're going to say to yourself, if you're like one of those people that get mad at me for being mad at woke culture, that, you know, there's no problem with that. Technically, no. However, when you're hammering that shit in, like, to the point that, like, duh, I don't need to have it hammered in, uh, I don't think there was a need for both of them to be wussies. You can have made the husband a wussy and the two kids strong. It just it made no sense to me uh, why they went one avenue with this. Uh, now, obviously, in the storyline, it plays out in the end. There's, like, battle of the wills because Mommy says Daddy's lazy and Daddy gets pissed. He's like, don't ever say that word to me. I told you. That's the word. That, um, mm. <laughs> so, you know, there's this battle of the wills. And then, of course, basically, Mimi's Daddy's girl. So she's, when there's, like, this divide between mother and son and father and daughter... Uh, that's how it goes until the very end when there's like Pandora comes down to try to destroy Gorman. Now, Gorman's already gone through a fight with some of his uh, underlings who have uh, basically told him, we'd rather have you locked up <laughs> than anything else. And we've got these wild characters. One guy looks like Cassius from fucking Clash of the Titans with a fucking metal parrot on his shoulder. And, uh,. So he's gone through this battle with them, and he's kind of bleeding, and he's ready to die. The only way to resurrect him is, of course, if Mimi puts a gem inside his heart or whatever it is, because it's sort of connected yeah, to Yeah, it's him. like in his chest. Uh, she's reluctant to do it because she knows that if she does, she loses the power to control him, and then he can do whatever he wants. However, she makes a deal and tells him, well, if I give it to you, you can't harm me or my family. 
So Pandora's kind of beating his ass for a little bit, and then finally he comes back, and he's got the gem inside himself, and goes and beats her up. <laughs> Literally takes pieces of her and makes a sword. That was really cool. He's, like, Neko pulling really out her spine. That, yeah. So, you know, he starts kicking her ass, and finally they defeat her, and the family's back together. Now, Pandora initially was trying to harm, I think it was Mimi, because she was trying to attack her with the gem or something. I can't remember. Uh, and then Mommy stepped in because they had transformed Mommy into one of these Transformer fighters. <laughs> That's basically what it looked yeah, like. Yeah, it was like, um, almost looked like a Power Ranger. Yeah. So, Mommy saves the daughter and says, you know, you can't do this. Like, I'm, I'm with you here, but now you're like doing crazy shit. <laughs> and Pandora's like, well, we're going to do this any way I want to finish it off. And, of course, they all band together to knock Pandora around and take her down. Uh, and then at the end, Gorman finally leaves the family alone, but decides to go destroy the rest of the world and the galaxy, which is pretty fucking funny. Yeah, they're watching the news, and they're like, yep. But you forgot to talk about Alistair. Oh, yeah, so Luke has his little buddy friend, Alistair, who... This is one of those cases where Mimi likes him, but then she treats him like shit, because that's what little kids do when they like each other. They, they poke fun at each other. And Alistair's more... <laughs> In, uh, interested in video games whereas Mimi likes doing sports stuff so if you're thinking like remember the Titans the little girl in there she is more of a tomboy that's what Mimi is basically and she's very competitive so <laughs> so uh, at one point I can't remember what oh yeah she wanted Alistair to, and Luke to play basketball with her and Gorman they were out back so no 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 Gorman yet because that's when she went and got Gorman because right. okay but I'm saying is they were all congregated in the back backyard and Alistair's like yeah you know I think I'm just gonna leave <laughs> and finally Mimi's like well you need to force him to be here to play with us and so he ends up transforming Alistair into like this blob like, it's, it's like, like a, a brain. brain yeah like a brain with like little tentacles and but he doesn't ever get changed back that's the funny thing even at the end with the credits uh mommy and daddy are sitting there and they know who he is he's there at dinner and he's, and he's there talking with, yeah he talks normal uh you know he, but that's the funny thing is like mimi kind of went on this power rush with the power that she had with the gorman and the gem and luke saw it. and it all plays a factor at the end when he tries to you know force her to say i'm sorry and all this other bullshit well it was funny because she's like he he said mimi do you think i'll ever be normal again she's like no but i love you just the way you are <laughs> right <laughs> so he's just kind of like slobbing away on the ground because he's a big blob of stuff yeah it's just really weird uh some of that stuff's never really addressed, but I think overall, Neko and I, you know, we went into this with the trailer. This happens oftentimes when you watch a trailer, you think, oh, this looks like it's going to be off the hook great. Mm -hmm. Then you get in there, and it's like you've already seen all the best shit they have to offer. And added the fact that maybe he's not a likable character at all. Uh, just, yeah, I just, I can't get into it. Like, to like, me. I honestly, out of. Out of ten, I give it like a five. That's, that's about right. I give it like a six, I think. And and the thing is, like, I we I kind of love like 
comedic kids in horror movies. I don't mm-hmm. have a problem with it. But it, these two are nothing near, like, Haim or Feldman in Lost Boys. Like, that's fun. Mm-hmm. This was not as fun. And I, I understand the storyline's a little bit different and all this stuff, but, like, in the end, you got to make it enjoyable for your viewers. And I really didn't... I mean, it's not bad. I, I watched it, and I recommend anyone watch it at least once. Uh, but I would say that it's not something I would buy or think that it's, like... Some people are, like, really glowing about it. I'm just, I don't see it. I just don't get it. And, you know, it is, it is, whatever, but... <laughs> we tried. Yeah. <laughs> but we're, you know, we always check out shit, and, that, you know, it's fine. I, I'm glad we didn't pay to see it. I mean... Yeah, we waited for it to come out on uh, Shutter. Yeah, so... Uh, if you have Shutter, check it out. Uh, you might have different feelings, or you might feel even better or worse than we do. There's certainly a, a difference. I don't even know what the Rotten Tomatoes is on it, because I haven't looked, but I might check that out afterwards. But check it out. It's all right. Something worth noting anyway. All right, so we've got some, uh, in our next block here, some stuff by Grand Sounds and Horror Pain, who sent us some stuff, which is always good. Gonna kick it off though with some classic corrosive. This is War is my inspiration. It's my inspiration.
Everybody, this is Mr. Joshua Gray, your live gameplay DJ, live weekday mornings, every day, but hump day, playing Mortal Kombat or other games occasionally and featuring a number of different artists. So come on by, grab your breakfast, and enjoy some fatalities. Mr. Joshua Gray on YouTube, Monday, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, 8 noon to the moon. And you're listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Tavern Radio. Getting ready for our rock block. What do you think about the rock block, DJ Anubis? Got some stuff from Against PR. A couple mm-hmm. of songs actually kicking off our rock block for them. Curtain Calls. A mm-hmm. uh, band called Venomous Rose contacted me via email, so I've got a track from them. That's awesome. Neko's Pick of the Week. Yeah. Should be an interesting one. And then the other day, as I'm driving around, like Allie's listening to my little thumb thumb drive, and it's it's smaller than a thumb drive. It's like a fingernail drive. It's the tiniest USB drive ever, and it holds like but I ordered a one, terabyte. I ordered one for Neko. It's a little bit smaller in size, but I think she'll enjoy it because I'll be able to put more shit on there. She won't have to worry about her phone and all. So oh! Um. So yeah. Um. And then we're gonna close it out with some sound gun, which I heard. Uh, a song I hadn't heard in a while. I'm like, man, I really love this song. I need to play this. So you were saying you drive around with your your little thumb drive while you're driving around, and you heard this song? Yeah. My, my pick? No, no, no. I heard the last song from Soundgarden. Oh, there. cool. Um, but I do have the song that you pick on my uh, thumb drive, too. It's just in a different folder. But it's just funny that as I'm going along, I'm like, oh, yeah, I haven't played this yet. And I've played, like, I've played Soundgarden before, but not this particular track. So... Uh, it's just kind of nice to go back and revisit some songs I don't listen to all that often. I love Soundgarden. Mm-hmm. I really do. So we're going to kick it off uh, with a couple of tracks from Against PR. This is Alexandra Zerner with Colors Part 4, Blue Marble.
everyone, this is Blake from Pig Destroyer, Hate Beak, and Zealot R.I.P. And you are listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko at Metal Tavern Radio. Get into it now.
Dennis Rose, the devil's friend of mine. I dig. Did you dig? I dig. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? All right. You're up, Neko. What you got for us? What are you going to lay on us? So. 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 It out. So. I need to practice that because I, sometimes I start my emails to people. I'm like, so. I do. Uh, I, I do something similar. I do. I always say, I mean. And then I start going on a rant. Because. And it's not very professional to be like, so. So. I need you to. Blah, 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 blah. But. Yeah. This band is actually something that my grandfather on my dad's side introduced me to. Years ago. Years and years, because, you know, they've been around since, what, the 70s? Easily. Yeah. And I think the first time that I remember him talking about it, I don't know if this band was featured in the movie, but... He was kind of like referencing this band and their songs in the Michael Douglas movie Falling Down. So I'm not sure. If, I, I can't remember because I've seen the movie, but I can't remember if this band was in the movie. But my my grandfather's like, I can relate to Michael Douglas so much in that movie. Because, um... Well, that, that movie is amazing. Like, yeah, and he's like, how does this look like that yeah it's like you know when that came out like that was long before now i'm like you know just i mean i was barely 13 when it came out but my um my grandfather he's like you you know that that song um by the talking heads once in a lifetime uh yeah i feel like that in in the Michael Douglas falling down, and then I'm like, he started showing me all the different Talking Heads songs, which I I love Once in a Lifetime, and I think that was my grandfather's favorite Talking Heads song. But, um, the song I'm going to play today is Burning Down the House, and again because I I was introduced to this band a long long time ago, and I remember. I'm trying to think. I was young. Yeah. I don't know if it's in there, but see, sometimes, like, I didn't see it listed, but, you know, the funny thing is, like, when it comes to movies, like, I actually own two separate soundtracks to The Crow, mm -hmm. and one is by Graham Revel, who does all the, like, atmospheric and themes, and mm -hmm. and then you have the one that was all the rock songs that they did, so maybe Falling Down has one with Talking Heads on it, that, you know, because I, I... You may find yourself! Right. <laughs> But either way, yeah, uh, I think my first introduction to this song was actually the first introduction to the band, like, early 80s, and I thought, like, this was, like, their debut, like, they'd already been out a little while. And they have a female drummer. And you and I, we watched the, it's, it's funny I found out this way, we watched the movie CBGB's. With we Alan love CBGB. And that's when I discovered that they were actually doing like the punk clubs with like blondie and dead boys which we'll get to a little bit later the uh, police right yeah all of them and so like i didn't even know all that stuff was going on like they were all part of that scene and then but in the 80s talking heads was more 
pop rock oriented because they were kind of like working with what was going on in the 80s at the time. So this so song, was Blondie though. I mean, well, Blondie had kind of started dying out. She was really big in the seventies with the disco and Heart of Glass and stuff like that. But once the eighties took off, she wasn't really as impactful as Talking Heads was. I really, for me, like. I think we got somebody at the front door, and we got a. But for me, like with Talking Heads, I I love I love like so many songs by them and i think maybe about a year ago i also did psycho killer mm-hmm. and that that as my pick of the week and big big fan of that song that's like a song a dream song to like get a group and do a really good dance number to burning down the house is another one i i th- which is this week's pick of the week i really just i love this song and i can just picture like if you've ever seen the video, like, I could picture just a bunch of people in suits with sunglasses, like, dancing. You know, the whole, like, part where he does the, the like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to describe you that. You can't see. He's chopping his arm. Yeah, he's like, I could totally, like, just turn that into something amazing. Yeah, I forget. His last name is Burn, but I can't remember the first name. But, yeah, he was pretty well known. In fact, there was a point... And this is just trivia stuff. There's a point where someone recently who is from South Africa, I think, mm-hmm. uh, redid a cover of Once in a Lifetime. And she was so impressed with, like, like if you, like, when you listen to Once in a Lifetime, you kind of think it's kind of like a fun, upbeat song. But there's no, really it's some, depressing. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, deep lyrics in there. And so she was really taken by that and, like, liked it. And, of course, Byrne was really more than happy to share his thoughts with her and encourage her and everything else so mm-hmm. uh they did a more of like uh an urban beat to it uh in their version but that's the thing like we sometimes hear songs that were poppy and whatever but then when you dive into them you're like wow this is really dope. like bohemian rhapsody is another one mm-hmm. like <laughs> you they, they the were time. they were turning down bohemian rhapsody they're like nobody's gonna play this song it's it's too long it's too like overdone it's Dark, too operatic or, yeah but you know that's the thing like you start listening to the lyrics you're like wow you know so yeah um go ahead you were just talking about it and whatnot this is your pick this is my pick and i love this song and i love the band and i love the um the nostalgia that kind of brings me back to my grandfather all of my grandparents are gone now the only thing i think about is like the video and burns face traveling on the road (laughs) (laughs) it's like a, a, a ghostly image or whatever just going down the road and I know that people who listen to this show, like, when they get to this rock block, they often confuse, like, we, Nick and I kind of go back and forth about what is, you know, good to play on here, what's not. We, we, we also, Talking Heads is probably one of those bands that kind of crosses that line, but... But you also have to remember, we also take into consideration the inspiration, because right. a couple of, I mean, it's been more than a couple of, it's probably been a year and a half ago, um... 
I, I mean, that's how I, it ended I with... found that Harry Styles song, and I'm like, this sounds like a Beatles song. It, it's not like a typical Harry Styles song, but it sounded like very white album Beatles. Yeah, I know that you have like a, a Miley Cyrus track on your list, so at some point that's going to make it in, and people are going to be like shaking their heads, but... It's, she is, the she, reality Ma, is, Miley Cyrus thinks she's Stevie Nicks. Right, like, it doesn't matter if you like it or love it. The, the, the issue is, is that she's taken on these rock songs. And mm -hmm. so, uh, Adam Lambert, like, he, even though he sang with Queen and all this other stuff, like. Didn't he sing with Badfinger, too? I don't know, but he, you know, he's he's a pop rock artist, so, but I would play Ring of Fire all day long on this show because. Dude, he blew Ring of Fire out of the water when he sang that i was like so we're not the... trying to like you know make this show into anything different than what it is but because of the rock block does cross so many boundaries you got post rock alternative rock hair rock hard rock uh even like a little bit of new metal we playing corn in this block before so the reality is we, we play so many different things and talking heads as you said they cross these boundaries all the time and they're, they're born out of the punk movement so there's a reason for that um, now, naturally, if I played a certain song from Talking Heads that was a little bit too poppy and, you know, not really meant for the show, I wouldn't do it. But they do have songs that are fit into the show nicely, and this is one of them. Uh, it's got a nice little vibe and a nice little atmosphere to it. So go ahead, tell them what we got. So next on the Rock Block, we will be listening to Talking Heads Burning Down the House. <laughs> Here we go. Audio jump. Attention, please. Be prepared for a musical transformation that you've never felt before. In a moment, jump. we will bring you on a journey. Like there's no tomorrow. And we will break new ground. Hailing from the land below the wind. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two. DJ Neko's pick of the week.
Come get it. Your lip. Yeah, and John too. <laughs> We're back. We're back. So I feel like your pick of the week, Soundgarden, was like blew mine out of the fucking water. I forgot how much I love this song. All my picks blew yours out. Jesus Christy. That's all I have to say. <laughs> so, okay. People who listen to this, I don't know if you understand how my really disjointed and discombobulated brain works. There is a song from the 70s that I like. <laughs> she put a fucking broad brush out there. So it's from the 70s and it's kind of like folky rocky and it is not Crosby, Stills, and Nash and it is not Bob Dylan and it is a male singing and I swear to God it's Badfinger because I was driving... Badfinger? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bad company. Maybe? Bad company. <gasps> maybe it is bad finger. Oh my god! <laughs> 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 oh shit! <laughs> oh my god! She told me for the last ten minutes it's bad company, so we're all looking like a songs and to find out what it is. She's like, nope, don't see it. I bet you it's Badfinger. Oh my god, if I find it. You were mentioning it, something about Badfinger earlier. Mm-hmm. Anywho. Uh, I'm going to figure this out. So, one of the docs, the doc that we got to anyway, uh, kind of just at the last second and on a whim, was uh, a documentary on uh, Stiv Bader, who was the singer of the punk band Dead Boys uh, from the late 80s, I believe. And 70s, because they were there at CBGB's as well. In fact, we were talking about how the movie had Rupert Grant from Harry Potter fame playing uh, Cheetah, the guitarist from that band. Uh, from we were the like, Af there's Ron Weasley. Right. Ronald Weasley! So, basically, we learned that Stiv at some point died because he was hit by a taxi, his head on the, the concrete or something, but he, like, he was fine at that that moment he got up and shook it off and told the cabbie that you know he was fine and everything but i guess he had some internal bleeding in the head maybe concussion or whatever one of those type of deals uh it probably was he um you know he felt fine but then he he had a blame a blame a brain bleed so yeah, so he and uh, Caroline, his girlfriend at the time, they you know went to bed thinking everything was okay, but then he never woke up and such and such. But the doc is actually more about his story and you know whether or not he deserves more attention for what he did because he went on to like after Dead Boys, he went on to form Lords of the New Church, uh, who kind of had some success and MTV and stuff like that in the, and I think it was the 80s. Yeah, because he died in 90? Yeah. We're clanging shit together. I'm sorry, day. and I found the song I was thinking about, too. What was it? Day After Day. It's Bad Finger. <laughs> bad Company is different than Bad Finger. I know. It's Stinky Finger. Shit, I am so dumb, <laughs> but we're going to add that to one of my picks of the week. Alright, so now we've sorted that one out. Yeah, I know. It's really hard for me. Once I get stuck on something, I cannot move forward. 
So basically, we just kind of learn about Sid, uh, Stiv. Stiv. When he's younger and he's going through these bands. And he's very influenced, and it's quite clear when you watch the the videos from the time that they, they were taken, the video clips. He's very influenced by Alice Cooper and Iggy Pop. He loves the theatrics. I mean... But his he, band, he, his he, bandmates were like, if he could just walk around in latex and stilettos, he'd be happy. Right. I mean, he was one of those guys that whenever he was on camera, he'd be pulling his pants down and mooning people. That's mm -hmm. He did that to uh, Joey Ramone. He was very famous for car surfing and mooning people while he was car surfing. So when I was hearing those stories, and it wasn't just like one story like, oh yeah, Stiv got really fucked up and got on top of my car and car surfed and then dropped his pants. It was like a weekly event it, it seemed like there were so yeah, there were it, so many car surfing stories they always said that like you know he was a fun guy to be around and everything but like they always had to kind of worry about him too because he was kind of reckless and he did he did struggle with heroin for a while and the the thing is with when he got hurt and they you know they called an emergency doctor and everything i think they just assumed he was high because he when you have a brain injury, they say that, like, you your pupils get really dilated. Mm -hmm. And the same thing happens when you're on heroin. And I think because, again, the stigma, the rocker, the heroin addict, and he hadn't been using in a very long time, that he probably didn't get the best care that he could have gotten. Right. And that's, you know, that's, I, in a way, that's probably almost like uh, profiling as a doctor. Like, you look at this guy and you say, it's probably not brain injury, probably just drugs. It's like fucked it, up or something. It shit. happens all the time, though. Like, I, I hear about it, especially from women who are overweight and they go to their, their doctor and they're having problems, especially female problems. And the doctor's like, if you lost some weight, you know, you could probably... XYZ and things will be better and um, yes losing weight is great we've lost you and I both have lost a lot of weight and it has been great on our health but I feel like sometimes everybody uses the overweight thing or like with Stiv he had a history of drug use so they're like oh he's just a drug addict so he was drunk, got hit by a, or, you know, high, got hit by a taxi and hit his head, he's going to be fine. I mean, let's just put this into perspective. Liam Neeson's wife, you know, no drug addict. She was, she was skiing and hit her head and she basically said, oh, well, it hurt, but I feel fine. And she died in her sleep. It's the same concept as what happened with, with Stiv. And she's, she was the furthest thing away from being a drug addict. So I, I agree with you, Anubis. I think you're right. It was kind of like a little bit of drug addict profiling. Yeah, because, you know, and especially back then, like, we, we don't have half the, I don't want to say half the knowledge, but half the technology and stuff to really recognize things as well as we do now. Uh, the doc features some... Uh, you know, interviews and stuff by, like, Joey Ramone, uh, Slim Jim Phantom from Stray Cats, Jimmy Zero, Dead Boys, uh, Cynthia Ross from the B-Girls. Cheetah Chrome wasn't interviewed, but, you know, it could be for many very different reasons there. Uh, 
here's the thing though like and i it was towards the end of the doc and i'm gonna get your thoughts on it like i'm not the biggest punk rock guy like i know the bands i knew the dead boys because when i was doing the radio the actual 24 7 radio a few years ago before i shut it down for a little bit and brought it back i actually had like a two-hour punk block throughout the week that i was playing so I thought, well, you know, if I'm going to do this, and I don't have as much knowledge as most people do, especially metal guys who were influenced by punk, I had to go research a little bit and see what was out there around the time. So obviously, Dead Boys is one of the ones I brought up. Uh, the Clash, of course. Dead Kennedys. Dead Kennedys, uh, GBH, uh, even uh, G.G. Allen and the stuff that he was Violent doing. Violent Femmes? I don't know if I had any of them. I might have had some of them. I- have we gotten to the island? Not yet. That but is, eventually we'll. we will. That is a Neko high school magicality. But well, did you get to Pennywise once? So we oh, did. we did. That was another one, Pennywise. Um, uh, Zig Zig Sputnik. That's one I recognize from the eighties. But anyway, uh, my my comment is like towards the end of the doc, they were talking about how Stiv really should have been remembered more is an icon from that era and I'm trying to think to myself well everybody thinks it's Sid and Nancy well but that's the thing like Sex Pistols were Sex Pistols mm-hmm. Ramones were the Ramones and you had all these bands but the thing about Stiv that sort of rubbed me the wrong way it's not really making him a bad person it's almost like he had ADD when it came to like how he wanted to do his move because he was always jumping ship they talked often about how he'd be in, in, involved with a group and then they'd be doing some stuff, and maybe even put out an album, and then all of a sudden he'd just disappear into another band. Like, he wouldn't even tell anybody. He's like, oh, yeah, we'll tell, like, a week later. He's mm-hmm. like, yeah, yeah I, I joined moved. this band. I'm over here. And they're like, well, fuck. And so, like, there wasn't, like, massive hard feelings, but at the time, these guys were like, that's kind of fucked up. So, Stiv, for whatever reason, never, he, you know, and this is, you can say it's, like, a credit to him, because he's like, I didn't want to do the same thing all the time. So, like, if he was doing Dead Boys, he's like, when he went to go do Lords of the New Church, he's like, I just didn't want to do Dead Boys and Punk anymore that way. Yeah, he that wanted style. to be more gothy. Right. So, he was kind of chasing, though, the scene every time it happened. And that's the thing I, me- I mentioned about him being so influenced by Iggy. His stage presence was very reminiscent of Iggy Pop. And I'm like, he's not really original. So, I don't know, in my mind, if you can put this guy, no matter how good he was... I don't know if you can really put him up there as far as, like, an influencer or... No, because I actually like punk, and I knew very little of the Dead Boys. And the only thing I really knew about that in this... I mean, all you punk fans are probably like, Oh, you're a poser! But no, I really didn't know much about the Dead Boys, except for the movie CBGBs. And, you know, that just might be me, because I wasn't digging deep enough in my youth, and I was kind of going with the stuff that I knew and liked... Pennywise, Well, it goes back to what they said about the CBGB thing, where at the time they were playing, they were there with Blondie, Talking Heads, the police, as you said, but they all agreed that Dead Boys were probably the most punk band playing it during that time mm-hmm. in, that, in that little venue. And that's fine. That, that gives a lot of credit to the Dead Boys at that time. They were really a disaster, too. Like, they got in accidents, and they, just, they were crazy. They were really into drugs and everything else, but... And they were the band that, um, who's the owner of that, that was portrayed by Rick, uh, Rickman? 
Oh, he's the owner of the club. Um, right. Christ, what was his name? Um, but he he took him on as a manager, and that and he really almost went bankrupt because he did that. Uh, but yeah, you know, as as great as Stiv was as a front man, I don't. Everything he ever did, in my opinion, just based off what I saw in his and how this stuff unfolded in his career and everything else, he was more just a copycat of trying to chase what he was already seen. Now, we all know that bands, when they get out there, they're influenced in one way or another by other bands, so we see that a lot. But he's, he didn't seem like a very big innovator in that in that sense. He was always chasing something. And as you mentioned, when he went to the goth thing, where it was like more like The Cure or whatever it was he was influenced by uh, to do the Lords of the New Church, they were successful at what they were doing, but it wasn't anything they were doing new. It was like there was already bands doing what they were doing. He just happened to go and like say, okay, I want to do this now. I want to try writing this. I think you're right. I think he really wasn't punk, but he was just doing it because he was with the band, and then he is really into theatrics, so he was like, I'm totally going to just be all over the place, and now, he it should, did. It should be said that he was very passionate about the lyrics. Like For him... His activism was the lyrics. Like that's he, that's one thing he really was very true about. He he believed that he, he mentioned that music doesn't have to be good. You just have to have the message or something to that effect. Mm-hmm. And that that's really what it's all about. And to me, I'm kind of the other way around. Like I don't mind the message, but not everybody's message is the same for everybody. So if you have great talent and can write good songs and they're memorable and they can connect with me, then great. Uh, obviously, if I listen to Mortician, I'm not there for lyrical content. I do love horror movies, but that's not really why I'm there. I just I enjoyed the whole part of it, everything about it. The, the well, you like the atmosphere. You like the intro. Yeah, and, yeah. So, but it's it's all it's a different type of level of listening for me as compared to Devon or somebody else, um, where it's a little more deeper in thought. And that's the thing about Stiv that does stand out to everything else is that he was the man that like believed everything he was saying in his lyrics so like he, you know it, that meant more to him than anything the music didn't really matter mm-hmm. but uh am i gonna say that he's somebody that deserves to be up there with some of the punk greats mm, i don't know I, I can't really make that call i just i think you and i kind of agree that maybe he since he was chasing it so much that he wasn't really inventing anything and to me that's that's a problem like you you really shouldn't be given accolades or praise for doing something else that someone's already doing. Uh, no matter how good of a lyricist you might be and how good of a front man on stage you are. Because if I watch him on stage through these videos, I see Iggy Pop. That's all I see. Like, I've seen Iggy Pop do this. So, you're not doing anything different. Alice Cooper, he's not as crazy as Iggy, but he did crazy shit with the guts and all of this. So that. That was just something else Stiff was doing. Um, now I know people will probably say, yeah, but Anubis, you love Wasp, and they were doing the same thing. Like, true. However, their music is different. They were actually writers and songwriters. Uh, I do find it much different than punk. Uh, and they had their own style, so it was a lot different. Plus, Wasp pretty much stayed, uh, in their own zone. Even though they lost members here and there, we all talked about it Mm -hmm. last episode, uh, but Wasp was playing Wasp music. Now, Stiv was just jumping to different scenes, and that some people saw that as like a negative. Uh, now, again, 
everyone who knows him and met him, like friends and bands and musicians, they all say he's the greatest guy in the world. It's fine. Uh, they knew him better than I did. I never knew him at all, so that goes a long way. Uh, I can only go by what the information is coming at me and Neko like through this documentary. So, uh, I mean, I'm not saying he's not an interesting man, and it wasn't an interesting documentary, but I agree with Anubis. Like, I I feel like he was always searching for something, and they did make a point though that when he met um, Caroline, he really started to find peace. Yeah, yeah, you know, and you know, he's getting a little bit older and. You know, at that point, things were kind of winding down. Not, he wasn't like old as shit or anything, but just he was sort of like the whole Dracula and his wife thing. The wife sort of brings Dracula to a, a certain balance, and that's sort of what Caroline did for Stiv there because he was a, a madman at times. But I always kind of felt bad because you know you're you're a singer who has talent in terms of stage presence and your lyrics but you know you're not dedicated to any particular band and I just that can be kind of disappointing and I know Stiv looked at it as like well we put all our good songs on the first record I just don't know if we have enough to write another record on that level and I think he kind of it was kind of like a fear thing like fear of failure to do your sophomore record most bands don't do very well with their second records but that's for everybody. That's and but you shouldn't be afraid to go and write it. You know what I mean. <clears throat> so certainly, uh, the Dead Boys still often get brought up when you talk about punk music. So they're there and they had their impact. But as far as me believing that Stiv should be up there with someone like you know uh, Sid Vicious or these other ones that were just doing it before, and I just I, I don't know if I can really say that's the case. Like. It's really not a negative and stiff for me, but just how I look at, like, the greatest of the greatest. I don't think... I... I and, again, it could just possibly be because I didn't know enough about Stiv. Right. But I don't... I don't put him up there with the greatest of the greatest. Yeah, so... Anyway, it, we're not... We job. are not disparaging. We we enjoyed the doc and we enjoy his music. It's yeah, just, keep in mind, it's just all opinions. It's all it is, and... You know, I know some punk people who are going to be like, oh, they were great, man. You just don't get it. Maybe I don't. Uh, but I can only give you my opinion on what I know, what I've observed. Uh, I've sat through some of their songs, obviously, when I put them on the radio back uh, a couple of years ago. So I took the time. It wasn't like I didn't find anything I didn't like on them. Um, you know, they put out some cool stuff. I'm uh, just not a big punk fan overall, but, you know, I took the time with a lot of those bands that I was putting in that blocks of uh, punk rock stuff, so the idea was I didn't want to just go in there and put, like, Green Day all day, you know what I mean? So <laughs> so I, I took the time, I went and researched, and I listened to a lot of albums and found songs that I thought were great that would be good for the radio. So I know that enough about that, but... Anywho... Anywho, back into our music, which not as punk, but has some classic DMU board. Yeah, some new stuff from L4, and we're gonna cut off some uh, inherently lost, provided by Against PR. Thank you guys much. This is called Flesh Covered Coffin.
was planning on that. This is the Retro Movie Vault with your hosts DJ Anubis and DJ Neko only on Metal Tavern Radio. You haven't heard anybody say anything about either one of these. Well, what about these two? Well, they suck. These are the same two movies? You weren't paying any attention. No, I wasn't. I don't think your manager would appreciate it. I appreciate your ruse, ma'am. I beg your pardon? Your ruse, your cunning attempt to trick me. I was planning on that. Oh. Ah, that's too bad. I didn't get my clip, I didn't get a preview of it, so apologies. They get a chance to put my sweet clip in there, but. Sweet, sweet clip. It's one of Neko and I's favorite fucking uh, scenes from Grandma's Boy, which we uh, checked out. Was it last night or the night before? I can't remember. I think it was the night before. I don't know. Because we watched... Yeah, it was the night before. We watched Gorman and the Doc last night, so... But one of my all-time favorite comedies, Grandma's Boy. Now you need to tell them why. Because at the time... and This movie came out in 2006, but in 2008, I started to... Uh, get more into my computer stuff and I, I became like a, a game tester for a little while and I was it was that's been your favorite job ever <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> laid back job just go in and test games and then, you're like I played World of Warcraft for eight hours today I'm like sounds like a good day watched uh, movies and all that good shit, but uh, Grandma's Boy deals with a 32-year-old... No, 36. 36-year-old game tester. And you were 36 tester, at the time. Right. Who uh, also is a game tester, and they're at Brain... Brainium? Brainnasium? Brainnasium. Yeah. So, uh, you know, he's like a legend there because he knows how to play a lot of games. He's very good. They, they nickname him Grey Bush. Because he's 36 and he's a game tester and all the other testers are like, like teens and 20 living or with their parents. And uh, so, yeah, so they have like a little cafe or lunch room, uh, which is a gaming room. And so when they get their lunch break, they're all in there and people come up and challenge Grey Bush to like whatever game they feel like they can beat. I mean, it's in. like Frogger and... Yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, Basically, the premise is, of course, you have this 36-year-old gamer who, at the beginning, uh, is renting a, a house with a, a roommate, and they're playing their game. Uh, it's a boxing game and smoking weed, which is big in this movie. Mm -hmm. And uh, the other guy, who's not as good at games, but you know, he kind of cheats by pulling out the plug for Alex, who's <laughs> the main character... And uh, while he's smoking a bowl, and then Alex tries to get back in the game, but he didn't realize that the the thing was unplugged. Right. So he's anyway, like, stop cheating. During, during all this, uh, we see former WWE uh, wrestler Kevin Nash and another guy walk in, and they're <laughs> they mosey onto the the kitchen. And they start eating their chips and shit, 
Alex rolls in there to get like a beer or something, and he's like, "Hey guys, uh, what? Who are you, and why are you in my kitchen?" <laughs> so they're t- informing Alex that he's being evicted by their uh, t- uh, supervisor or sub, and uh, Alex is like, "Well, no, no, no. Who's the guy who plays the uh, the sub?" Like, oh shit. Because he's always in those Adam he's Sandler like movies, Water and this Boy is and this is yeah. a a Adam Sandler movie type movie. He's no, it's it's it. it's the same production company, right? But he's not in it. Um, but fuck, I gotta look that up. Alex now. is like, hey, but we I've been giving you my money to him, the roommate, to pay you, and then he's looking at the roommate, and it's like. <laughs> I just I love them so much, and he's referring to his his addiction to uh, Madam Something, uh, the masseuse house. Yeah, so he's been wasting all the rent money on that. So after six months, they're getting kicked out, and it, it's so funny. It's a great movie. There's so many funny bits. I can spend all day telling you every one of them, but I won't. Um, so. He, he has to find a place to crash, and the scene that I was trying to get to play here was a scene while Alex is spending the night over at his... Rob Schneider. Okay, yeah, that's it, the sub, uh, sub who... Uh, the landlord. Yeah. So Alex gets one of his co-workers who's living with his parents to let him stay the night there. And uh <laughs> funny scene is the, the co-worker is still like a teen, so... He's got this bed that's wrapped around inside of a car. So it's like a plastic car bed. And uh, Alex, of course, he just finds this amusing. He's like, okay, where am I sleeping? So then he's like, the other guy's like, well, you, I got the air mattress like an alligator to use. Yeah, it's pool. like a, it's like a, <laughs> a fucking phony. float. So uh, he goes, dude, you sleep in a car. He's like, it's a really sweet car. And I talked to other car beds, so he's just... The guy, I can't remember the actor's name, but he's so goddamn funny. And he's great throughout this entire film. Uh, he's got his little action figures and comics and stuff around the room. And he's totally a kid. He calls his parents his roommates. His roommates. He won't even address them as parents. He's like, they're my roommates. So, in the middle of the night, and this goes to the clip that I was talking about. Alex can't sleep on the it's air mattress. Nick Swardson. Yeah. It's Jeff. Jeff, that's it. So... Alex gets up, and he he's looking for some sort of entertainment. He can't sleep, so he finds, like, this doll, like, Barbie doll, uh, which he's dubbed... Uh, but it's Laura Croft. Laura Croft. And the next scene we see, he's inside the bathroom, jerking it to this doll. And he, but he's talking to it, and I can't even give it justice, because <laughs> the dialogue is so goddamn funny. My cock is lost in the jungle. You gotta, you gotta find, find it. it. And he's doing all this shit, and he's talking, and then right as he's about to have his climax, Jeff's mom walks into the bathroom, and he turns around, and he's coming. He can't see it, but he's coming on her, and he's like, he's, screaming, he's screaming like, Oh my God, I can't stop. It feels so good. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, obviously, afterwards, we see both guys, Jeff and Alex, outside of, uh, Alex's car, and in the middle of the night, close to time to, for the next day, and Jeff's like, well, my mom says you can still sleep tonight if you want. He's like, yeah, like, that's it, not awkward. That, that will be awkward. <laughs> so, anyway, Jeff, uh, Alex decides he's going to sleep the rainy two hours at the office at Brainsium. So, 
next day, uh, I think we see, like, a scene where Alex is at, like, a wedding. And it's not his, but it's someone he knows, apparently. And he's, <laughs> he's at a table with all these kids. And he's telling them how to beat this particular game that they all play. <laughs> so it, it's kind of funny because everyone else is talking adults and stuff like that. But he's there with all these kids and he's giving them the lowdown how to beat these final levels of this game. When his uh, grandmother shows up. Who, what's her name again? I can't remember. You know the name of the actress. Doris Roberts? Yes. So Doris Roberts' character walks up and she's Alex's grandmother. And invites him to stay with them. Actually, this is before his event with Jeff, so I, I did put that out of order. Uh-oh. But anyway, Alex ends up going to stay with his grandmother and her two roommates, who are also elderly. And one of them, Grace, uh, busts his balls all the time about being gay. Cause he's She's like, oh, grandma. you're gay? So is my grandson. I'll get you his number. Yeah. So, obviously, the first night he's there, because uh, they had another roommate who passed away in the in the room there that Alex is staying. Sophie. Yeah. So, Alex is trying to go to bed, and all of a sudden you hear this, whoa. And he's like, shit. I'm sorry. He's like, no, what's going on? What is this? And then you hear a voice saying, you know, I died on the floor and, and nobody helped me. me. He's like, I would have, I swear, if I would have. I swear to God, Sophie. And he was like, you got to be fucking shitting yeah. me. And then all of a sudden his grandma pops up and scares the shit out of him because she was fucking with him. And, uh. I love Doris Roberts. She's so funny. Yeah. Wasn't she in every one of those rainbows? Mm-hmm. Wasn't Okay. Yeah. So, uh, anywho, the next day. The fucking grandfather clock goes off at 6 a.m. waking up. He's like, no! Yeah, he's like, what, 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 is that, what is that noise? And he can't stop it, but then the grandmother says, come get breakfast. So he goes out there and eats, but then he wants to go back to bed. And they're like, well, we were hoping you could do a few chores for us. This is, this is where they get sucked in for Alex. And he spends the rest of the morning doing chores before work. So he's really dead tired at this point. So we have a lot of this uh, going on. Now, in the meantime, at work, uh, what's the boss's name? Chisel? Mr. Cheezel. Cheezel. He's the guy that runs everything at the gaming uh, place. and Brainasium. He has a, a woman coming out from another company to make sure that, because they're working on Death Stalker 3, which is... Eternal Death Slayer Death 3. Slayer. Thank you. Uh, by this prodigy, JP. And I can't remember his name right, but you've seen him a lot, trust me. And he's fucking hilarious. He was in, um, I think the thing that most people will remember him from is, oh shit, I just forgot, the, it just slipped out of my head. Was it the, uh, the, the balls? The one, the movie where we saw it in 3D and everybody was, and it, it's like, they were on that planet and then they were trying to steal all their... I don't know. I, I, God I, damn it. I it's think, it, his name is um uh Joel Moore. Yeah, he was in that um movie with uh Vince Vaughn. And um God, I can't remember. I'm so bad at this. Avatar. I couldn't get I couldn't get in the oh, name. Oh yeah, out. he was in that. He was in Avatar. He was in um but he was in, he's been in a lot of things. He's really funny. He was in CBGB. He was Joey Ramone in <laughs> That's CBGB. Right. That's right. He was. Uh, knock on wood. Uh, uh, so, anyway, he's like, 
dressed out in Matrix style sunglasses Literally. and and black trench coat and and he's really into robot noises. Yeah, he's very bizarre, but it's so funny you don't even care. And the the girl who comes over to make sure that they're on time with all the game tests to make sure they're on time with this release is another girl who, who was with uh, Seth Rogen in a TV show that Neck was watching a while back. Um, but she sort of becomes the love interest for Alex, even though they're I don't think she's super young, but you know in her twenties probably. Uh, and of course JP has a thing for. Her. But because he's so goddamn weird. Linda, Linda Carlini. Yes, thank you. And uh, that's why I told you it's Neko the the male girl. <laughs> this is how I get the Well, echoes. so if you if you ever watch Freaks and Geeks, which I I watched it a while ago, it's only one season, but it has like everybody in it. It has um it has Seth Rogen. It has what's his face from This Is the End, where they're in his house. Oh, Craig Robinson. Not Craig Robinson. Um. Oh, the white guy. J J. Uh, no, the other guy. Yeah, I only know. It's name. his house. Franco. Yes, okay. thank you. Yeah. It so it has Franco in it. It has Seth Rogen in it. It has Linda Carlini in it. It has a ton of people in it, and uh, it came out in the late '90s, like '99. It was only one season, but it's kind of interesting to see how all of those uh, actors kind of work with each other going forward and like Linda Carnellini what I love about her is every time she does she's a great actress obviously she was hysterical in Grandma's Boy but like she was in Mad Men and you wouldn't have even recognized her she, well there's a lot of familiar faces uh, Alexis Bledel is in Mad Men and, you know much more truer role compared to some of the other stuff she's done that's but, how she met her husband right but this 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 is a great comedy and you know JP he's just so weird that he's awkward when he tries to hit on women <laughs> a little bit full of himself so anyway throughout all this you know with all the chores and trying to keep up with everything Alex is too damn tired he manages to burn his hands one night you know, trying to cook up a snack and not realizing that he picked up a pan that without the gloves. Because he was baked and he didn't use oven mitts right. and Grandma doesn't have a uh, microwave, so he put all of his snacks on a baking uh, tray. Including a banana. And a banana. Yeah, that was the funniest part. He put a fucking banana in the oven. But uh, he got burned on his hands, so, like, you know, Carlini's character, she's trying to get these guys to do certain levels of this game to get them done and most of them are getting it done but Al can't because of this but he makes up a story that he's living with like three nymphomaniac chicks that are hot uh, and that's the reason why he can't get anything done they won't let me do anything they just want to watch porn all night <laughs> right so and in the midst of all this don't get me wrong he has a drug dealer named Dante who's like fucking off the hook that's like a whole separate thing going on which is hilarious um, so, in the midst of trying to get shit done, uh, Alex finally comes through, he, he sends his grandma and her friends to the Antiques Roadshow, because they got really caught into the cable stuff. Because Dante gave, uh, Alex, but, remember back, in the, this is an older movie, it's, it's from the early 2000s, so back in the day you had those illegal boxes that could get cable, and uh, Alex bought a cable box for his grandma, and... 
it was like crack. They'd never had cable before, and they're like, oh, there's just so many channels. Yeah, they were watching. Oh, anyway. We're the not cooking gonna, channel. Yeah, we're not going to break it down too much, but anyway, he sends them off so he can get his shit done. Then he's also, at one point, playing a game that he's creating called Demonic, and uh, at this point, they've already gone out and celebrated the fact that they got their levels done, and Mr. Cheezle has paid for them to go to a... Uh, veggie place, uh, which they end up leaving anyway because it has James Spade, David Spade in it, which is great. He but, was the waiter. He's yeah. like, "Oh, our food is good and Shyla. good for you." <laughs> Guy blow. <laughs> so they just leave and go get a burger. But at this point, like uh, Jeff has a really shit bed, so they the grandma's house is right around the corner, and how convenient because. Alex wants to talk to the girl, Carlini, some more. So they go back. They got beers. And at this point, like, Grandma's found her way into Sophie's stash where Alex was keeping his weed. And they thought it was tea. So she and her roommates are drinking his shit. They made special tea with a kick. Right. And they are just watching the Spanish channel laughing their asses off at this point. Not understanding anything that's coming through. And, of course, we have uh, a young Jonah Hill in this who uh, goes on to do many movies after that, Superbad and all that. And uh, so they come over, and uh, there's a really funny moment where Alex is like, I can't believe my mom drank my weed. And then Jeff's like, well, why don't you just call Dante? And then, like, Cardellini's like, yeah, yeah call. call Dante. He's like, easy there. You'll get your Easy there, pothead. Yeah. So it's just a lot of funny moments. They throw a big... A big basher. Um, Carla- people, I, people show up like bikers and um, random people that who knows who Dante invited because it was literally like after they called Dante, everybody showed up. And this is also the same night that they prank called JP because he gave his card to Carlini's character. She's like, oh, I can't believe it. So am. we don't know exactly what was said right away. So anyway party ends and we can tell that Cardellini's character and Alex are getting closer and uh, so they go back and JP's freaking out the next day because he, out, I missed a phone call? They're out at lunch and he's pissed off because of the phone message he got left was all of them making fun of like JP I have a robot vagina and they were just fucking with him the entire time so uh, all that goes down then we go back to where after all this happens jp's feeling kind of low so he shows up at grandma's house to talk to uh alex alex and he's playing his new his game he's working on he's like this is really good now he's really private about it because he hasn't told anybody he's working on he's just self-conscious and jp's like well this you know he's giving him all these great pointers like this this is really great stuff you should have me like take a look at this and give you some pointers on it he's like well okay yeah sure because you know in a way uh, everyone respects JP because he's like a legend there at the the, the job in Brunesium. So he's been able to create games right. at like such a young age and yeah, he was like thirteen, mm-hmm. and all this stuff. So obviously Alex thinks, okay, well this is cool because I got a prodigy who's going to tell me, you know, what I can do better or you know, show me what's wrong with this. Yeah, game. and he was and and the way that JP like put himself out there, he's like, I, I, want I could friends. give you, I could give you some pointers. What? And and he was like coming over, literally bawling to uh, right. Alex, like nobody likes me. Oh. You, know, you just got you gotta stop with that robot shit. 
and and Alex, you know, he's he's a really nice guy. So that's why he was like, you know, totally. You know, he was complimented. He he felt you know. It was nice that JP said, I'll give you some pointers. He was thinking that he was making a connection with JP until... The other, yeah, the other thing to note is, prior to this, Alex's grandmother had actually started playing a game. She tried it out and was, like, really getting into it, so... And she was really proud of him, too. That's a side note for coming later, because the following day, there's this big announcement that Mr. Cheese was giving in the break, or in the conference room... And everyone's gathered there, and, you know, no one knows what's going on. All of a sudden, Cheese was like, well, JP has a new game he's had been working on this year, and he's going to debut it for us. It's called Demonic. And Alex freaks the fuck out. He's like, what? No, uh-uh. He's like, this is my game. This ass clown said he would give me some pointers, and I'd steal it. <laughs> so he has a breakdown, but the problem is it's the only copy he has, and the fact that no one else knows about it, even his close friends... Uh, you know, he doesn't have much to stand on, so it's really JP just kind of using his leverage there to try to get away with one. So he basically quits on the spot. He's like, fuck you all, I'm out of here. And at this point, Carlene's character is, like, worried, and, you know, she goes to Grandma's house and finds Grandma. She's like, have you seen him? And then they start discussing the thing that happened at work, and Grandma's like, oh, you mean Alex's game? And that's when Carlene's like, well, you know about it? And, of course, there's this, you know, dialogue back and forth. And they're like, well, can you come with me, please? And they take off. They finally find Alex at Dante's house getting smoking the biggest joint you ever had in his life. He took all of it. He took the bling. He took the bling The bling. Frankenstein. The fucking deer shit. Just put it all together. Roll me the biggest blunt you can. Dude, I'll go down to hell with you, man. That's what Dante is. <laughs> space case, motherfucker. Dude, Dante... Is always naked. He he got a lion. Yeah. Like I mean, I got a fucking lion coming here, man. And then you he can't raise fucking... your voice like that when the lion gets here. <laughs> then he has like a karate chimpanzee. That oh he has. my god! Yes, beats them all up. So anyway, those are all like side Monkey. things. Monkey. Monkey. Uh, so finally, they round him up. Because they get Alex to come to the place saying that his grandmother's in trouble. <laughs> That's the only way Jeff can get in there. He's like, he said, JP has revealed himself as an actual robot and he's holding your grandmother hostage. Right. So he gets there and, you know, obviously JP's standing with his guns. He's like, it's his game. And then they have this final showdown between JP and grandmother. And, uh. Because she, she's like, I love this game. It right. was Alex's game. And she's game. been spending time with it. So. You know, for a while there, JP's like kind of like kicking her ass because he knows how to play games really well. But then she knows certain moves in the game that he doesn't, and she breaks up like special uh, wings and things like She's that. She's like, and don't forget, this is my grandson's game. And she splits him in half, his character in half, and JP's like, mew, mew, mew. <laughs> you're right, like a robot dying. And at that point, Cheese was like, yeah, okay, we gotta get ready to JP. That's not kosher. You Let's know, call your mom JP. Yeah. Uh, so, all, well, all all ends well as well with this, this movie, and uh, it's really fun. There's so many side comedic moments with Jeff and Dante that you'll really get a kick out of. It's, it's never-ending laughter. Like, it's definitely one of my top two comedy films ever. We we enjoy the shit out of this movie. I don't. We watch it like nonstop. And for a movie that came out, you know, two thousand six, it hasn't lost any of its 
hilarity. Like, it's just so, still so funny. Like, it's crazy. Like, you, you see some movies we've talked about before where you go back and watch them, like, they're, okay, maybe not as fun as they used to be or not as good as they used to be. This one hasn't lost any of that. Well, it's like we were talking about earlier with Psycho Gorman. Like, we, um... We watched Psycho Gorman after we watched Grandma's Boy. And I was like, well, maybe maybe I'm just not getting it or something. And you're like, no, you and I, we, we think things are funny. We have, we know what's funny. It's just, it didn't, like, t- tickle our funny bone, as, as you say. We, we watched Grandma's Boy, and we can still laugh at Grandma's Boy even though it's from 2006. And I think that's part of the other thing, too, because the other movie we really like is Step Brothers, and these both came out like before the Me Too and the woke stuff really took effect. And you might be mad when I say this, but the reality is they weren't worried about offending people. This movie, if you are easily offended, don't watch it. I can only tell you that. Don't watch it, because it's not made for everybody. And Some people don't even think it's funny like we do. Right, and and that's fine. We have a certain brand of humor that we like, but if you're someone who's so easily offended these days that you think that everything that's going on with movie making and all this woke shit is great, that's for you, great. You know, we're going to continue to give our opinions on how we see things going. Psycho Gorman, to me, was, like, trying a little too hard. This movie is just fluent. It, it just goes at it, doesn't let up. And they don't care what... It, it's meant to be... It's not really meant to be offensive, but it's just meant to be what it is. Like, it's not I mean, dodging have, any bullets. You have Jeff and Grace. Grace, who's 80, and Jeff, who's 20. Like Talking it, about hand jobs. Yeah, and, they're, and she took his virginity. Like It's like the one moment when he's explaining what happened the next day in the break room. He's like, well, someone asked him, like, Jeff, did she invent the hand job? He's like... No, but she did invent the hat jump with the finger up the ass. Yeah, she did. And that's the, the kind of shit. Yeah, that's the kind of shit that like is funny to us. And like, if you're not into that, then great, don't watch it. But uh, I don't want to make it a downer in this particular review. But the movie's fucking hilarious. I don't care. This and Step Brothers are right up there. And you need to have our like style of humor. Now, here's the other thing. I know other people come to us and say, "Oh, if you'd like." Will Ferrell and you like Step Brothers, then you have to like old school. We we hate old school. We we and and Elf, I, yeah. it's not funny. Ferrell's like hit or miss with me. And when he and um, Chris did uh, Night at the Roxbury, that was that funny. was great. But uh, it's the same thing with Molly Shannon, who did a lot of the Saturday Night Live stuff with them. By herself, she's not as good. When she's with other scenes, it's great. And I think part of it was she was in Night at Roxbury, too. So you have some of these comedians who are great as supporting actors. They can't really carry films all the time. Will can, but it just depends on what it is. I think what's the one we saw with Mark Wahlberg that Will did? That they're the father. Daddy's home. Right. So that stuff works. And, and Mark Wahlberg is actually pretty funny. So it, it, it works. And John Cena. So anyway, check this fucking movie out. It's Grandma's Boy from 2006. A lot of good familiar faces in there you'll see later on in life. If you like weed and gaming and partying and beer, I mean... And tits or some and, tits and boobs. The milkmaid. Milkmaid. Jonah Hill gets to suck on the boobies. For 13 hours. Right. 
All right, let's get back into some music. Yeah. Brand new stuff from Sleep. This will put Neko to sleep. It's called Clarity.
What's up everyone? This is Richie from Grave Huffer. And you're listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Tavern Radio. Rank it the fuck up. I'm 
Necromathian, Faustian Rites. Love that song. Good old uh, thrashy death coming at ya. DJ Anubis. Getting ready to close out another episode of the Hordes of Chaos here on the Metal Tavern Radio Podcast. So I gotta ask you, DJ Anubis, you've been going by the Hordes of Chaos for a long time. Explain. It's a good title. <laughs> you didn't like do like a deep dive in research or not initially because I think Hordes of Chaos, you know, when I think of chaos, I think of just anything and everything. That's why, I mean, it's a little bit, the thing about Metal Tavern now is it, people who aren't familiar with us, if they tune into the 24-7 station or running our podcast, they're like saying to themselves, okay, well, they're playing rock, but that's not really metal. But that's not really the point of what we're trying to convey here. Metal Tavern is basically encompasses a large variety of different styles and genres. The idea is, for us, we've met so many great people just through music, and I, I agree with you. I think, like, that we want to just kind of project that. Well, if you remember when I was doing, even back with Darkness Radio and Vertigo and all them, when I was doing it live, I had, like, a separate, a separate Sunday rock block that I used to do for, like, three-hour shows, and then, of course, my metal stuff during the week, but... I just thought to myself after the first run with the 24-7 station that like why worry about breaking them up into special segments because you can have someone who tunes in at 6 o'clock at night but if it's if they only have like a 3-4 to four hour window to listen to the station but two of that's taken up by some special segment mm-hmm. they're not really getting the full the full range of stuff that we can offer so now that I run the 24-7, it's all mixed together. Like, I try to arrange it in a way that makes sense, but because the Centovacast, uh panel, it isn't working correctly. This is like a widespread problem, not just for me. And, I don't know. But it works out fine. I mean, you still get like two to three rock songs that kind of group together, and then you go back into the metal. And that's kind of the way I was going. I was trying to do like 25 metal songs six rock songs like kind of like we do with the show just varied stuff and then back in the metal but until they get that worked out in Centovacast there's not much I can do with the way it's arranged but it seems to be working okay we've last week I think we had uh, a top high hit of 21 tune-ins at once so I mean and we've had 300 before so like it happens and people are still enjoying it so but they just need to understand that when you're listening to our podcast or metal station, like it's not just metal. You're going to get rock of all sorts in there. Now we're not going to. I'm not going to play Talking Heads on the 24/7 station, but you'll hear a lot of the stuff that we do play. Well, I mean, it's also important to note a lot of rock bands are huge influencers for metal bands. Well, I think more people now like appreciate and understand where rock falls in. It used to be for a long time that metal fans or elitists would frown upon hair rock but it has its purpose it has its its position in the metal genealogy and we saw that with the doc that we saw years ago the, a metal journey mm-hmm. that he broke down all this stuff going, starting from sabbath to the 80s stuff with like poison rat motley crew van halen and then so on and so on so 
they all play a part in some way, shape, or form. So, and even Soundgarden, you can go and make an argument that some of their songs, like Jesus Christ Pose, is actually a metal song. Mm -hmm. So, it, it all plays in there. But uh, we appreciate everyone who does tune in and enjoys this stuff. Yes, um, we do. As usual, we will take requests. We haven't had any in a while. So, Kevin, if you're still tuning in, feel free to give us some ideas of stuff you want to hear. Because sometimes I'll miss something. Or if you just want to hear an old school classic, I'll put it in there for you. And we'll go run away with it. Uh, special thanks to our labels and promotional sites. Uh, in fact, we're going to close out with one of them, Metal Devastation Radio. Send us a band called Vulture Lord with their new track, Bloodbound Militia. And uh, we will see you next time here on the Metal Tavern Radio Podcast. Thanks all. Appreciate it.